You're listening to the Just Go Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wyatt from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. And I'm TJ Jeskowitz from RAGBRAI. This is the podcast where we talk about bicycles just for the fun of it. We talk about tales from the RAGBRAI nation and other adventures across the United States. Come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. All right, Mark. Well, I'm sitting here in the American in Algona, Iowa, one of our overnight towns, calling in on this Just Go Bike podcast. Where are you at today, Mark? I'm I'm back at my home. I'm in the living room of uh, of Wyatt hit headquarters, um, and uh, just I was up in Manchester, so we weren't that far apart. Um, I had a driver's ed class that I was helping teach up there, so uh, that was. Great to uh, try to influence some young drivers before they get out on the roads and they encounter bicycles. Cool. Well, I want to start off uh, this week's show with just a huge shout out to Sarah Cooper, who the top overall uh, woman's Ram winner. And I think she was about top 10 overall, which is just, just an absolutely amazing accomplishment. Basically 11 days, 11 days and change across the United States of America. And uh, just what an, an amazing accomplishment. And we, we saw lots of updates. And I know we tuned in a couple of times. We had her on the Just Go Bike podcast um, before she took off on this epic adventure. But just, wow, you know, to, to hear that she finished first overall woman, what an, an absolutely amazing accomplishment. So, so again, just, just, Congratulations, Sarah, for for a fantastic ride. I know we were grilled, and everybody else was glued to that uh, Ram tracker, just trying to see where she was at and and what sort of miles she was keeping. That's that's just amazing. I don't know how anybody can can do what she did, and 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 Steve Fuller kind of hinted at that, but. You know, people call it the toughest race in America for a reason. Yeah. And just, just great hats off to, to her support crew, a lot of Iowans in there and just a lot of, uh, good people just, just posting photos and posting updates of, of all the curiosity folks back in, back in her home state. I know Jill Marks and Laura Darrell, we were out there just, just posting away. So, uh, thanks. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, another thing on my mind, Mark, I just want to point out, we we've obviously get to ride quite a bit uh, throughout our state. I don't get to ride Ragbri, but we, we've been doing some riding lately. And I, I just want to touch on um, or get well wishes to two of our good friends, uh, Dixon over in the Quad Cities and, and Randy Darrell over in the Chicago area. Just, um, you know, just it just goes to show you just one minute you can be just riding along in pure bliss and the next minute you could be on the pavement. And it happens yeah. just that quick. And both those guys are going to be fine. Um, but, you know, they, they hit the pavement pretty hard. And not saying it's their fault or, or anything like that, not to suggest that. But just one in one second, it can completely change your season or, com- or complain, completely change, you know, your life. So uh, just, just be careful out there. You know, your one wrong turn or, or someone's wrong turn can, can really ruin someone's uh, bike ride. So, so, you know, obviously strap on that helmet and just really be, be careful out there when you're riding. Yeah. I, you know, I've been, Back when I was with Bicycles of Iowa City, it wasn't unusual to have one of the riders, and that's a pretty big group, you know, 300 or so people, and uh, break their collarbone on the way out to the river or or sure. uh, on the first day. 
And, you know, suddenly they're in, they're in the rider truck with the luggage guys for the, for the rest of the week. And that's, it's, that's not the vacation you had planned. No. no. So, Hey, wishing yeah. them a speedy recovery. Ho- hopefully we'll see them both on Ragbri this summer. So, so speedy recovery for you guys. What, what yeah. else on your mind, Mark? You know, we, we, we finished the Bakun ride. We had a great time. Right. Uh, you and I got to ride the 71 miles of the Raccoon River Valley Trail and, and, I think we can call it a success, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Another great year under the belt. Yeah. Everybody seemed like they had so much fun. Um, and our, our post-survey reflected that. I think our excellent rating was uh, 48.5%, which is up about 10% from years previous. So people had a lot of fun. Sure. But there's one thing that, oh boy, this just this uh, just a bone kind of stuck in me. Because uh, uh, this kept coming in the surveys that not enough Kaibos and... A lot of non-wristbanded riders helping themselves to the food on the mm. event. And, you know, I couldn't believe it. I, I thought we may have covered that hump because I didn't get as many phone calls this year of people asking if they had to register for the sure. event. And <laughs> can you believe it? People will call me and say, do I really got to register for the event? And I'm like, you know, that's what kind of keeps the phone operating here for you to make this call. So... I mean, it's tough. We we have a little bit of an epidemic of, of people kind of being a little parasitic for rides. I know this happens on Ragbri a lot. Sure. Um, the Burr ride. Um, I know, you know, Bob at uh, Perry struggles with that because a lot of a lot of unregistered riders show up. I think it was like less than a third of the that ride registered, which is, you know, that goes to support the chamber and the activities they do to promote Perry, which has been a big help on the on the trails. So. You know, we just simply, we got to figure this out because we got a lot of non-registered riders that sh- simply show up and they don't have any intention of pain, but every intention of taking advantage of the ride that's there. And you could ride that trail any other day of the year and, and have a great time. Sure. But, and it just messes with the charities that we work with and, and takes money out of their pocket. And and so next year, we're going to have to shell out more money for Kaibos. And, uh, we're going to have to, uh, shell out more money to, uh, have people at the food stands to make sure that people don't, don't cut in the line that aren't supposed to. And, and that just directly comes out of the charities that's supported by the ride. Yeah. So I think we need to, we need to have a little conscience with this. And, and, uh, and I also, I also think that, uh, we can, we can kind of work with the trail system and, and maybe talk about checking for trail permits and things like that. And I don't you know, it's I don't want to hold people yeah. up and hit. Yeah. But at some point we gotta, we gotta do something. And there's a pretty hefty fine if you, uh, if you don't have a permit. So, you know, that's, uh, that's something that writers need to consider yeah. in the future. But You know, it's one thing you know, if you just show up and you, Oh my bad. I didn't know there was a, a trail ride going on or, you know, cause there's lots of yeah. events going on, but when you come out with your team bus, your team kits on, and there's 25 people there, and zero wristbands for, for a charity ride. That's pretty yeah. bad. So, you know, you know who yeah. you are. Uh, we're not going to call people out, but you know what, you know, we we would have been able to give a, a larger check to the trails and maybe had all the trails 
paved by next year's ride. So, I mean, if you're feeling pretty bad about that, make a check out to the, you know, Raccoon River Valley Trail, one of those one of those county conservation offices to help get those trails paved or to the Iowa Bike Coalition. The Dream Team was another recipient of, of you know, the charitable giving for this event. So those are three organizations that, that could have used your help with your registration. So um, that's not the way we do things here in Iowa. Um, we register for events. I, I know I will not ride one single event without registering. If it's Burr, I don't care, you know, any, any event. I don't go fishing without a license, and I don't go riding without a registration. So, so do the right thing. Hey, what do we got on the, let, let's bring a positive. What do we got on the show today? Anything fun? I think there's some kind of sci-fi adventure going on. I don't even know because it's kind of uh-huh. mysterious. So I don't, I don't know where Kyle Munson's going with this one, but I know Kyle Munson's got a neat interview with some kind of sci-fi angle for the bicycle. So look uh-huh. forward to hearing that. And I think we got a pair talk as well. Just great, great feedback on the parrot talks. I mean, just um, I tell you what, Andrea does such a nice job with the parrot talks, and I, I'm always my ears are glued to the podcast when <laughs> when that parrot talk comes on. So look forward to another edition of Parrot Talk. You betcha. She's a pretty talented person in this industry, and and uh, good voice to have on this you show. Bet. Okay, hey, got a great show coming up. Let's get to it. Well, hello, Just Go Bike listeners. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is Kyle Munson, uh, the Iowa columnist for the Des Moines Register and one of the free wheeling pedal junkies of this podcast crew. Uh, I'm sitting here with a man named Jeremy Withers, and I'll give him a fuller introduction in just a minute. But right now, the most important thing is to know that he is a science fiction fan. This We're going to delve into the intersection of science fiction and bicycles for this interview. So finally, I get to do this. And before I tell you exactly who Jeremy is, I just wanted to throw this at him. Uh, we're talking sci-fi, bikes. Uh, what, what do you think, Jeremy, is the most iconic visual science fiction moment with bicycles in the history of creation? What comes to mind? I have, I have something in mind. I want to see if you agree with me. E.T. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think the most iconic image of bikes and sci-fi is the flying bicycles near the end of E.T. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, that is, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, too. Uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial, the classic 1982 blockbuster. Uh, even the movie poster has that silhouette of Elliot and, the, and E.T. flying across the moon. Uh, and so it's one of my... Eventually, I also want to have an interview in this podcast with some of the bicycling folks involved with E.T. You know, I was talking about this with somebody else recently, and they mentioned the echo of that that is in the recent Netflix series, Stranger Things. You have, I mean, the kids aren't flying on bikes, but they're, you have a young bunch of young kids in the 1980s right. on bikes. There, there is a flying scene. I think, actually, there's one oh, where right. they're riding towards directly into the cars, and Eleven, the telepathic girl, I think, makes the bikes go up into the air, and they soar. Surely a visual homage to E.T. That's right. You're right. So I love that. So I would love to have a Stranger Things uh, episode, too. Uh, 
So yet to come, more science fiction craziness with bikes yet to come. Well, let me introduce Jeremy a little more fully. He is an assistant professor in the Department of English at Iowa State University. Uh, He regularly teaches classes that have to do with science fiction, British literature, and the history of the English English language. And I was... um, I, funny story, I actually, I'm sitting here on the campus of Iowa State University in Ames with him, and I f- first ran into him and his new bicycle book, The War of the Wheels, H.G. Wells and the Bicycle. I mean, H.G. Wells being kind of the father of science fiction in a lot of ways. Uh, but I first met his wife, who was on a bicycle. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how I got here to this whole interview. Um, but it's funny. So what leads you... Jeremy, to get into this realm where you're talking about you're studying both bicycles and sort of the father of science fiction. Right. What's your, what, what sparked your interest? Are you a sci-fi kid that uh, found your way to literature? Or were you a, uh, a, you know, a bookworm that found your way to bicycles? How did this all, how did this all happen? Um, I, I think I started out on this project as an H.G. Wells fan, primarily. I was teaching Wells in my science fiction class, was doing teaching the War of the Worlds quite a bit. And one thing I noticed over and over again in that book that I began to look around and nobody had really commented on yet or done any analysis of was all the bikes that show up in that classic science fiction novel. So that led me first to researching bikes in Wells, researching bikes in science fiction at large. But yes, primarily as a Wells fan, I think. That's great. You know, I had no idea. So we talked about E.T., Stranger Things. I had no idea that the bicycle really figured much into early science fiction. But, you know, I was reading your book, and, uh, yeah, The War of the Worlds is is a foundational, I guess, sci-fi work. And people have seen it, whether it's, you know, the original novel Spielberg or... Spielberg, again, doing a yeah. rendition <laughs> of it. Didn't Keanu Reeves, is that the one he starred in, or was that a different... No, it was Tom Cruise. That was that Tom one. Cruise yeah. in that one. Yeah. Um, that same year, three different versions of War of the Worlds came out. Two were like B-movie, I think straight to video, and then Spielberg's, of course, overshadowed the other two. But Wow. Yeah, absolutely a foundational, foundational. work of science fiction. And then, of course, Orson Welles on the radio in the 1930s. Yep. The, you know, There's the... a musical in the 70s, Jeff... <laughs> Wayne, I think, uh, sort of rock opera version of it. Wow, I'm, I miss. I might not go back and listen to that, but that's. <laughs> but I'm intrigued. <laughs> well, but so I, in your book, I, I realize, I think the first people in in Wells's original novel, the first people that come up on the Martians, are bicyclists. Right. <laughs> so so bicyclists are kind of there at the at the dawn of. Well, I don't know if you, if this is valid, but at the dawn of science fiction. Right. I love that. Yes, it's it's absolutely, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the, the bike at that time was the quickest thing around, the most versatile thing around. You didn't have to wait for a train to come. You didn't have to rely on the train schedule. Cars weren't really around yet. So it's absolutely appropriate that he has the bikes getting there first, the people who are first on the scene where the, the Martian tripods or their uh, cylinders are crashing mm-hmm. is the cyclists. They're there, and it makes total sense. But then ironically, I think what's interesting about that book is that he initially shows the bicycle as being associated with speed and versatility and efficiency. But yet, once the Martian invasion gets underway in earnest, the bicyclists do nothing to really save anyone. The cyclists are being killed just like everybody else. And I think that's an interesting moment of, of... 
deflation of human pride there that people think, oh, we're so great. We created magnificent things like the bicycle, but no, Wells is interested in knocking them off their pedestal, showing the bike's not going to save you just like anything else because he loves to undercut human pride and undercut their, their, uh, yeah, their, their pride in their own technological accomplishments by showing you're really nothing in the great scheme of the things, scheme of the universe. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, and I, you talk about, so this book, it, it's about the dawn of science fiction, but also this late 19th century was the, I guess, the first big bicycle boom, too. So it's also the dawn of the bicycle craze. And we're a podcast that, you know, we're all about everyday bicycling, the fun, the culture of it. And it was interesting to read at this time that you're talking about, uh, you know, when H.G. Wells was creating, I guess, forging his career, sci-fi was becoming a thing, bicycles were a thing, that the bike was also kind of seen in, in some ways as an ideal instrument, but it was all. But also, I guess there was some skepticism. It was compared to the horse a lot. It was right. like here, it's a mechanical, mechanical horse. horse, the poor person's <laughs> horse. Yeah. But so uh, it's just funny to see through the centuries and through the years how, I guess, people have always been turning to bikes as a utopian sort of transportation. Right. But it was also it was looked at with some skepticism too. I guess. Right. Right. Yeah, which is why it, make, it makes total sense that you see the bike show up over and over again in science fiction like you do. You mentioned the utopian potential because, yeah, most people consider utopia a subgenre of science fiction. And you see the bike show up quite often. Um, I'm reading a, a utopian novel right now uh, called Sherwood Nation, and it's about a, a, a part of Portland that secedes from the rest of the city in the midst of a horrific drought. And they're relying on bikes as their form of transportation. Their their police and their security forces. Everyone's using bikes because yeah, it's it's the most reliable machine. It doesn't need fuel. It doesn't need gasoline. Relatively little upkeep. Makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now I guess a lot of people are looking at bikes as a kind of a, an ecological savior. You know, climate change and everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah ecotopia, kind of another <laughs> subgenre of science fiction. They show up in there post-apocalyptic narratives um, when society crumbles and cars aren't around or you don't have reliable gasoline, the bike could be there to sort of keep society running to some degree. So, yeah, they show up all over the place. That's neat. You know, there was uh, I loved in your book, too, um, we see bicycle quotes everywhere now. Uh, you know, a lot of time when people build a new bike facility or uh, maybe a commuter uh, pavilion or whatever it might be, these quotes pop up, and I love how you sort of debunk this. The most one of the most popular bicycle quotes ever is from H.G. Wells, and it's this. Well, supposedly, and it's this one. Every time I see an adult on a bicycle, I do not despair for the future of the human race. And as a bicyclist, and that oh, that just makes my makes my heart melt. But as you say here, he probably didn't say that. <laughs> no one has been able to find. Any source of Wells is where he actually wrote that or said that. But you're right, it appears all over the place. The, the wonderful, interesting connection to Ames is that we actually have a sort of bike rack sculpture here in town that carries that quote on it, as well as another famous Wells quote. Yeah, and as far as we can tell, he's never said it. I have a book up here on my bookshelf, another sort of sci-fi novel the sort of epitaph, epigraph to the novel is that quote by Wells. And yeah, no one has ever been able to find. It seems like something he would have said. We, I wish he had said it. I hope someone finds that he said it. But as far as we can tell, it's, it's apocryphal. Maybe he never said it. 
you know, as a journalist too, it just it 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 uh, it's one of those things that always pains me how easily it is to have, uh, you know, a p- potential mistake like that just ingrained in the record, ingrained in the culture. I often think as a journalist, I just I always weep for the historians because how are they going to sort this out? I'm part of the first rough draft of history, and I you know in my career I've seen that play out, and and after a number of years you just look back and you go. How did how do they even sort this out? Right, <laughs> you know? exactly. So that's why that's why in my line of work, I I, I so much believe that in, in you have to have that rigor there, otherwise it just all falls apart. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wells is, I think, his reputation in connection with the bicycle largely revolves around that quote, the apocryphal one you just read. Uh, another one that comes from a modern utopia that says uh, the tracks of utopia will be lined with. Um, cycle tracks, and then a novel of his called The Wheels of Chance. And it's unfortunate that one of those three is maybe something, yeah, he never even actually wrote. <laughs> you know, I love how you chart in the book, too. Uh, so this Wells, this father of science fiction, he, he lived through kind of this fascinating time where he saw the, not only the bicycle boom, but a couple of world wars and the... The arrival of the car, the, the car. arrival of the airplane. Yeah. Yeah, he lived through the, the, major, the major transportation revolution of the late 19th century, early 20th century. And he was fascinated by all these things. Uh, the plane fascinated him to a large degree. But yeah, I think my argument is that the bike is what held his attention most throughout his life. So I, I think he gets credit. What I try to credit him with in this book is that he was um, largely a devotee of the bike before the bike boom hit. So he wasn't really someone who just sort of jumped on the bandwagon late. He was riding the bike in the late 1880s is the earliest references we can see. The bike boom starts 1895, 1896, and he's still riding bikes, still promoting bikes in his writings all the way up until really the First World War. I mean, after the, the, the car has really sort of cemented its place in American British society, he's still promoting the bike, which I think is, is noteworthy and applaudable as well. That's great. Yeah, I love how you put in here, I think you mentioned um, he, he becomes a little more, he likes to use the car a little bit more later in his life because he's having all these affairs and he has to drive <laughs> yes. around to get to all these women. <laughs> yes, I think, yeah, I think you can do, you, you can't do much worse than I think putting that as the reason why he was, he was a, a well-known, a legendary philanderer, many mistresses. And in part, it seems like he needed a car because he couldn't keep up with all these different trysts. Yes, that he had to. <laughs> the bike's all fine and good, but you know, when I need when I need to get to Sally on Tuesday, I get in my car right. and I... <laughs> the bike's just not going to cut it. <laughs> oh, so what other? Where else does the bike? I mean, you've written other things on science fiction and bicycles too, and I was going into this. I was thinking, well, besides ET, whatever else, I don't really think of the bicycle in science fiction. But then you mentioned here uh, Mark Twain's Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, where I guess there's a, that, I forgot that image of all these knights in shining armor on bicycles. Right, yeah, Lancelot leads the charge atop a, a high-wheeler bicycle in that, <laughs> in that book, a famous scene. Are there other classic scenes I'm forgetting from uh, with bicycles anywhere else in science fiction? Or um, is H.G. Wells uh, kind of an outlier with E.T. and everything yeah, else? Yeah, no, I don't, I, I I'm finding that shows up quite a bit in science fiction, not necessarily in the most well-known or well-read science fiction novels, um, but in lesser works, maybe by some known known authors. So, for example, uh, a recent novel that I have written on where bikes show up is uh, Robert A. Heinlein, one mm-hmm. of the, the masters of, of golden age 
mid 20th century science fiction, one of his juvenile novels, which actually scholars think is among some of his best work, these, these novels that he writes for largely teenage audience. He has one called The Rolling Stones um, that sort of depicts a, a space traveling family and they have bikes with them and there's a, a, a group of teenage boys who are bringing bikes to, to ride on the planets they go to and sell. So bikes show up there. I'm also most recently looking at some some lesser known cyberpunk work. So William Gibson is a name that maybe a lot of people know associated mm-hmm. with sci-fi neuromancer. But in one of his lesser known works, Vir- Virtual Light, there's a one of the protagonists is a bike riding messenger woman by the name of Chevette, hmm. and she's depicted riding throughout the novel. So it, it's there. It's just not necessarily in in the. The, the more well-known, the most well-known sci-fi works, but it's in the major authors, just usually in their their lesser works. I think their lesser-known works. That's interesting. I, yeah, I'll have to check those out. Um, I guess the closest thing for the for the big works, the big movie bazooka science fiction. Uh, I guess the closest thing that Lucas gave us with Star Wars was. I know the speeder bikes and, yeah, and, and on the true. forest of Endor, or, yeah. but without wheels. Without wheels, yeah. <laughs> he didn't. He wasn't really big on wheels, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they were hovercraft. Yeah. Um, are you uh, an avid bicyclist yourself, or do you do you love the study of them, or do you are, are you you like the activity of it too? I like the activity of it too. I think that's definitely part of why I got into this this research. Is it's always great when, as an academic, as a scholar, you can find things to research that yeah reflect your personal life, reflect your personal interests. So um, I am an avid bicyclist. I use I bicycle mainly as a uh, these days as a form of utilitarian transportation. I, I bike back and forth from work to my home about two miles from here. I, I just biked my son in today. I have a little mm. uh, trailer that I sort of bike my kids around in. I take them to daycare in it. But yeah, I absolutely love it as a as a way to get where I need to go and enjoy enjoy my morning and enjoy my afternoon that much more by being out bicycling to and from work. And so do you believe that that our bikes really, I mean, we do a lot of talking on this podcast about, you know, I guess we do kind of talk about them as a salvation in some ways. Do you see them as one of the leading, as kind of one way that we're going to help save the future of the planet? Uh, or is it going to be, what, bullet trains and bikes? Or how do you see, that? what role do they play going forward in, in when sci-fi becomes reality? Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's a part, I'm definitely a, a, a fan, a proponent of the idea that our 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 problems that we have, our environmental problems, are going to, entail a a multi-prong solution multi-prong approach and yes i definitely think bikes can and should be a part of that as well as other things like more train travel and more fuel efficient cars but yeah bikes alone i don't think are are the savior but should be a part of yeah the whole package the whole multi-prong approach definitely that's cool well uh got a couple of questions left for you but first i want to make sure uh so the book that you've just published is The War of the Wheels, H.G. Wells and the Bicycle. And any place that people should pick that up besides Amazon? Um, well, you can get it directly from the publisher. Syracuse University Press was wonderful to work with, and they were definitely very supportive of the project. I think it's always a good idea to buy directly from the, the publisher if, if possible and sort of cut out the, the Amazon behemoth if, if possible. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Syracuse University Press, their website has it. You can buy it in both uh, hardback and, and paperback, which is nice too. I'm really, I'm really glad that they released it right away and, 
in paperback, that makes it much more affordable. But yeah, Amazon and Syracuse University Press would be the place to get it probably, or try to ordering through your local bookseller would maybe work as well. That's cool. And then for the sci-fi fans listening to this, you've already made some good recommendations, uh, you know, how these bikes pop up in some of the lesser known works. Just anything in general doesn't have to involve bikes. Any other book or movie or anything that you'd recommend to the sci-fi geeks out there that like us? Um, yeah, I, well, I think I, I would recommend first, we mentioned it already, but uh, picking up The War of the Worlds. If you haven't read it before, it's, it's, a, it's a quick read. It's, it's more a novella, short novel than an actual novel. Um, if you consider yourself a sci-fi fan, I think you owe it to yourself to read that book. I think you'll be surprised at how good it is and how different it is maybe from some of these cinematic treatments we've already mentioned. And I think, I think you'll be surprised, even people who've already read the book before, I think they're kind of surprised when they, they hear, they see that I've written on bikes in it because I think they didn't notice that, they didn't remember that, uh, but they're there. I mean, they're definitely there, but it's interesting how much people sort of skim over it or gloss over it and don't see them as actually, I think, an essential part of that, of that narrative, an essential part of its project of undercutting human pride and human arrogance, but they're there. So I would recommend starting with that. Um, I think picking up maybe something like Octavia Butler's The Parable of the Sower, another well-known sci-fi work, has some interesting bike stuff going on in the first half of the book. Um, Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson's Pacific Edge is a really good ecotopia, utopian kind of use of the bicycle would be a few more recommendations I would have. That's awesome, Jeremy. I'll, um, yeah, I'm going to check those out too. Uh, the bikes and sci-fi, who knew? Well, um, well, can I, I just want to add one thing. We have, I mean, I think, again, people think are sort of surprised bikes and sci-fi, that doesn't make any sense. But I think one thing we haven't sort of hit on or is worth foregrounding here near the end is just, if you think about it, it makes kind of total sense, right? I mean, sci-fi, the genre most interested in machinery, most interested in technology, why wouldn't it be in love with the bicycle and depicting the bicycle? I mean, it is one of the, the best machines humanity has ever invented, despite Wells's dismissive treatment of it in one of his works, The, the War of the Worlds. But yeah, of course it shows up over and over again. That, that's well put. No, that's well put. You know, um, it's not just Sherlock Holmes and the solitary cyclist or, you know, whatever right. it might be. Right. <laughs> and sci-fi isn't just spaceships and ray guns and time machines. It's also cars and bicycles and other more seemingly mundane machines but worth worth exploring in the in the genre that's right yeah so it's 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 not just back to the future in the delorean the right. bike deserves to be in the conversations <laughs> awesome well i saved the toughest question for last as we always do here on the just go bike podcast jeremy what is your favorite kind of pie my favorite kind of pie is i'm gonna go with sweet potato pie Oh, nice answer. So is that from childhood? Is it like a family recipe that got you into sweet potato um, it's, pie? It's not. I'm, I'm a vegan, and one of my favorite vegan cookbook authors, Isa Chandra Moskowitz, has a killer sweet potato pie recipe in her Vegan with a Vengeance. And I made it early on when I became vegan, and I just love it. It's the thing I make for people to impress them and show them that vegan food doesn't have to be horrible. Um, that's my favorite. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for coming on to the podcast, and uh, I have a lot of reading and uh, some pie baking to do. Thank you very much, Kyle. <laughs> All right. Oh, hello. This is Andrea, so this must be Parrot Talk. Today I thought I'd talk to you about a question that we've been getting a lot in the RAGBRAI office lately. Namely, when am I going to get my wristband packet, 
And what do I do if I get a t-shirt or a jersey or shorts that don't fit right and I'd want to exchange them? So let me tell you. First of all, just because your friend Jimmy has got his wristband packet and your friend Laura has her wristband packet, but you don't have yours, doesn't mean that we forgot about you or that we're not going to send you a packet. If you got a confirmation email with a wristband number or you can go on to ragbri.com and see that you have a wristband number assigned to you, it's on its way to you and you will get it sooner rather than later. We've been shipping out wristbands all the way through the month of June and we're going to try to send everything out by the 4th of July. Now, we may be a little bit later than that, but only a day or two. It's going to be real close. So you should have your stuff in plenty of time for the ride. We ship out via postal service, so stuff only takes a couple of days to get to people. So you should be sitting pretty. Another thing that sometimes happens when people shipments go out and they think they should receive their items, but they haven't, is that they their items have gone to their group leader. So if you're in a group and you're not the group leader, double check with whoever your leader is and see They should be receiving your wristband and your jersey and all the other stuff that comes with it. And I know shipping throughout the whole month seems like it's taking forever, it's a long time, but remember that each and every packet is put together by our wristband crew who work all day, every day during the week, and sometimes on the weekend too, to individually stuff all these packets with wristbands and bike bands and vehicle passes and your participant guide and everything else so that you have the perfect kit ready to go for RAGBRAI and you don't have to stop by and pick anything up from us beforehand. So huge thank you to our wristband crew, Reese, Madison, who's partially a merchandise crew, but we still like Madtown, and Nick and Mackenzie, and Laurel, who is our intern, who have been fabulous in helping us ship out wristbands this year. And big shout out to Linda, who works for RAGBRAI year-round, who is also helping with wristbands this year. So she's like, not the kingpin, but more like the queenpin down there. So huge thank you to all of them for hand packaging all 10,000 plus of our wristband packets this year. So as soon as you get your wristband packet, the first thing you need to do is double check and make sure that everything is in there. You should have wristband, bike band, a license plate to put on the back of your bike with a couple zip ties, a luggage tag, you should have a participant guide, and a vehicle pass if your group has one, and also any merchandise that you've ordered. So if you notice anything's re- weird or wrong or doesn't match the packing slip, you should get a hold of us at info at and let us know right away. If you find out you have a jersey that doesn't quite fit right or you just don't really care for it or if you have anything that you need to trade with your jersey, um, you can get a hold of me, Andrea, at ragbri.com and I will help you out. As far as all the different ways that you can exchange jerseys, we're getting close to the time of year where it's easiest just to come to the RAGBRAI merchandise trailers on the ride and you can see me and we can do a little parrot talking or, or not. I'm only... I'm at usually one of the two merchandise trailers, so you got a 50-50 chance of saying hi, but I'd love to say hi, um, eat some Twizzlers together or something. Um, But anyway, the RAGBRAI merchandise trailers will be in the Expo in Orange City, and then every day after that, they'll be in the overnight towns with one trailer being downtown and one trailer being in the main campground. So you should be able to find us. It's a big blue trailer. It says RAGBRAI right on the side. Um, and our, the smiling faces of our crew will also be inside and they'll be happy to help you switch out your jersey. If you would really rather mail it as opposed to stopping by on the ride, you can do that. We ask that you postmark all of your return shipments by July 10th so that I have time to turn it around and ship back the correct size to you or 
um, have time to pull out the item from our inventory before we start packing because it's about time. Um, and if anything's postmarked after that, I will do my best to get it back to you, but it'll probably come back to you after the ride. So, you know, that's why I'm suggesting you come to the ride after a certain point. Or if you live in Des Moines, it's also an option to stop by the Des Moines Register lobby and we can do a trade there. Uh, I ask that you let me know a little bit ahead of time so that I have time to make sure that your item is down in the lobby for you waiting. And that reg the lobby is at 400 Locust Street downtown and uh, in the Capitol Square building. And they're open pretty much just regular business hours on weekdays. So that's an option too. Again, just let me know at Andrea at ragbride.com and I'll get something ready for you. Okay, so you have your wristband packet, everything's in there, you have your jersey situation figured out. Then the next thing I would recommend that you do is actually take a look at that participant guide and read it because there's a lot of good information in there. Not only is there FAQs like basic questions, but it also answers more next level questions like things we've talked about about emergency procedures or um, details about what um, jersey you should wear on each day if you would like to. Um, and then it has maps of every day of the route so that you can kind of get an idea of where we're going to be going more specifically. Now, we will also have fold-out maps that you can pick up at the Ragbury Merchandise Trailers. So, you know, you don't really have to tear out the map that's in the participant guide, but it's kind of a good way to start getting used to where we're going to be going on the route. The other thing your participant guide is going to have is a $5 off Ragbury coupon for the merchandise trailer. So I said, obviously, I will suggest that you use that. Um, you have to spend $55 worth of merchandise, but that will get you a jersey at the registration price if you're wearing your wristband, so highly recommend it. Um, speaking of the merchandise trailers, there's also something else in your wristband packet that I forgot to mention, which is your patch certificate. So you just bring that little certificate into the merchandise trailers and we'll give you the 2017 patch. So that's kind of a cool memento and sometimes people forget that, so maybe throw that sucker right into your bike bag so it's always with you when you're out on the ride. Okay, so now we're kind of getting out into the fine details of something that's not really that complicated, but the last couple things I'm going to recommend to you are to, once you go through that wristband packet and you're all ready to go, make sure you pack it right away or you put it in your bike bag so you don't forget it because sometimes that's something that's easy to leave behind because it's pretty small. The other thing I would say is actually fill out and use your bike license plate. It's so much fun to see where people are from, what their names are, how many rag prizes they've done. Um, and it's a great conversation starter, unless you want to go incognito, and I get that, but it's not as fun, so I think you should do it. So anyway, that's it for today's Parrot Talk. Um, if you have any other questions about the ride or getting ready for the ride or anything else bike-related or ice cream-related that you'd like to talk about, go ahead and give me a holler or a squawk as it may be. Um, you can get a hold of me at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com or on our social media pages, which is just at justgobike on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I will see you there. Okay, well, we've reached the end of another edition of the Just Go Bike podcast. Wow. It's fun and exciting to talk about bicycling in the great Midwest and throughout the country. Who's the show sponsored by, Mark? This show is made possible by Think Iowa City and its curious surrounding communities. I, you know, we just had a great downtown event. Yeah, they had a, a kind of this open bar downtown thing. 
these are things that Iowa City can do. And I, I hope you got Iowa City on the possible map here because if they can do something big like that, think Iowa City is a is a fun place which, to be. Which map is that, Mark? That that future odds map for for Ragbright Towns. You know, you know the one we're talking about. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, bikes to you, uh, Craig Cooper and I, uh, we're, we're working on a little weight loss plan. So, uh, ask him about the bet that we just made and, uh, we're going to get in shape. Uh, bikes to you, one of the greatest rag bright charters that we got. Uh, you know, if you're looking for rag bright style, if you want to stay in hotels, if you want to, if you want to camp, he's got it all. Um, in addition, he's got one of the best bike shops that you can, that you can find in the Midwest. Uh, so check out bikes to you. And then finally, Primal. Um, I won't wear anything but Primal Primal shorts and Primal jerseys anymore. Um, they really are the most comfortable thing that uh, I've been riding in. So if you're looking for custom bike jerseys, shorts, or other accessories, check out Primal Wear. Yeah. And our good friends at Primal will be in for Ragbri. They practice what they preach. They're out there on the road. And I heard that they're going to be looking of doing a nice little thank you party for their loyal customers. So uh, stay tuned for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And um, always great to see Dave and the gang come in to ride Ragbri. And we see them throughout the country at, at, at many fine cycling events. So good friends, an amazing company. So look forward. We'll have more details about that, that primal party uh, coming up soon. That'll happen on Ragbri. There's a lot of, there's a lot of shenanigans happening on this ride. Isn't there? shenanigans I, yeah hmm. isn't that uh, a bike club shenanigans i i actually heard that there is another team that wants to challenge the jesco bike uh, podcast crew to uh, a little pie eating contest pie eating they they know we just did you know this this little thing called pre-ride where we tasted <laughs> lots of pie so we are pie professionals who's who's up for that challenge who's who you would know, dare challenge I, us I think it's the no pie refused group, the otherwise known as the mm. NPR, uh, you know, uh, Scott Horsley and crew are going to come out again. One of their biggest crews that they've ever had. But if let's see if they can survive the Castilla pie massacre. <laughs> well, good, good luck to them. They're, they're not here in Iowa where we taste great pie all the time. So we're, we are, you know, you're out of your league, Horsley and gang. So, you know, bring it on and we we will, you know, accept the challenge. But it's kind of like Mr. T said, it is, it is no challenge. So um, I pity the fool. <laughs> All right. So let's see here. So we've come to the end of, of another edition. So if you want to check out our show notes, just check out JustGoBike.net. You know, what do you want to talk about on future shows? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at JustGoBike. And be sure to subscribe to the Just Go Bike podcast and join us next week for more. And I'll leave you with these words of wisdom for today. We only regret the rides we didn't take. Just go bike. Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer. Brian Powers is the show's producer, and the Just Go Bike podcast is brought to you by the Des Moines Register, a part of the USA Today Network.